Welcome to the Pot of Gold, where we talk all things precious metals and their markets. Today, we discuss the confluence of Fibonacci levels in gold, the duality of views coming from the Federal Reserve Bank, and what Dr. Copper can tell us about silver. I'm your host, Shay Russell, and joining me today is ABC Refineries Global Head of Institutional Markets, Nick Frappel. Nick, how are you, mate? Very well, thanks, Shay. Very well, indeed. All right, Nick, it is good to have you back. Uh, And it's been a couple of weeks since we last spoke when we recorded at the RIU conference in Sydney. Nick, how have you been since we last spoke? Well, I've been pretty well, but I I was off uh, work for about a week or so. So hence the long gap, which is a bit of a shame because um, we don't want to sort of get out of uh, rhythm making these um, podcasts. But yeah, this is probably about the longest it's been. But yeah, no, I'm feeling pretty, pretty good. Pretty psyched. Awesome. Look, uh, you know, more than anything, while we do enjoy, um, while we do want to keep podcasts regular, we also really enjoy just talking about the markets as well. Exactly. All right, Nick, let's kick off with my favorite precious metal. Let's take a look at gold. Now, gold has certainly been uh, kicked around since our last conversation, and it now looks to be testing some technical support levels of sitting around 1850 at the time of making this podcast. Tell me, if we look at managed money and open interest, what is this telling us about the market? Yeah, sure. Well, the first thing is, is managed money since um, really the uh, towards the end of April has, has seen a steady outflow of funds uh, of, of managed money. So saw about 2 million ounces leaving on the weekend, week, week ending even, 26th of April and million ounces more or less after that. And then the week ending 17th of May, um, 836,000 ounces. So managed money longs have just been the process of, of real decline. Um, and some of that is, uh, you know, I'd say taking profit, some of it not. Um, on the short side, uh, shorts look have been traditionally fairly quiet in terms of not taking a real pop at the market. Um, but at the same time, um, shorts did increase quite sharply in the week ending the 17th of May, just over a million ounces. And that was at a uh, VWAP uh, volume weighted average price of 1832 uh, bucks. Um, so, uh, you know, we've been down through that and and back up again pretty quickly uh, in, the, in that time period. In fact, gold made a low just the day before, I think, the end of that data collection period. Um, and that's the interesting thing. If uh, if you look at what gold's price action has been um, in in late, sort of moving from the April highs down to down to early early May, is the price has dropped pretty substantially. Um, early the mid mid April highs just shy of two thousand bucks an ounce, two thousand dollars an ounce, and then we dropped down to seventeen eighty eighty six, I think thereabouts. Um, so. A substantial drop, and even more substantial drop, if you think about it, from the March uh, high of 2071. So this is a uh, sort of uh, you know 200 um, sort of 90 dollar or 280 odd dollar uh, fall over since the since the middle of middle of uh, March in roughly space of roughly uh, eight weeks, um, or not even eight weeks, perhaps. So. Um, big moves, big moves down. Big uh, signs of weakness in gold. But where did the gold price stop? It's it initially held the base of the Ichimoku weekly Ichimoku cloud, which is a big and important support level. Next week, 
it tested people's resolve by trading down below that level, actually just closing round about the base of the cloud though, so essentially holding that. And then since then, it's popped higher um, pr pretty aggressively and, and, and certainly quite smartly when you consider the relentless pace of the fall in the, in the prior sort of six to seven weeks. Um, I think there's one thing probably we were talking about yesterday that probably is worth commenting on, and that is that the, the, the reaction on a daily basis has been pretty good in terms of the price moving higher and back into the 1860s. Um, I think we had a high this week of 1867 thereabouts in the spot market. The interesting level that it stopped stopped at and it's uh, sort of fallen back from is the uh, 38.2 um, Fib retracement of the move down from the April high to the May low. So that, I think that's, that's an interesting thing that it's bounced back up very quickly to that level, then it's rejected it. And I think there's a couple of important things to say about Fib levels. If we get higher than that, where would the next set be? Well, this is actually, thank you for bringing me to a point that I absolutely did not want to miss because you very cleverly called this yesterday and said you're looking at a confluence of FIB levels. So it's not just one Fibonacci level that's quite revealing at the moment, but it depends on how you draw your, uh, how you do your FIB retracement and what that's telling you. So please, can I get you to expand on that? Yeah, sure. So the first thing is, is the move down from the uh, March high down to the very recent May low, um, we can draw uh, fib retracements from that. Second thing is the reaction high in April, uh, where the price kind of challenged 2000, back down to um, last week's low. Um, you can draw fib levels from there. Where it's kind of interesting is to see where those fib levels meet or have a, a, a confluence, as we were talking about. And the, the, the area I want to sort of draw attention to is the uh, rough confluence or pretty close confluence really between the 50% retracement of the April-May move, which is almost pretty much adjacent to the 38.2 Fib retracement of the March-May move. And where they lie together, which is about 1892 to 1895 US dollars, if we pop higher, and uh, and I'm fairly sure but there is some good point in figure uh, targets suggesting suggesting uh, gold should go higher above the recent low lows. If we go higher, then what we're looking at is 1892-1895. I would expect some inter interim struggle and resistance at that level where momentum kind of plays out. Doesn't mean that it's going to stop there. Just means that that's kind of an, a level where I expect a little bit of a battle to take place. And incidentally, just um, one thing. This is not a sort of bearish kind of like commentary about gold because I've said that the gold price held the weekly cloud. And the weekly cloud is a good, that means it's the gold price is trending higher in, in sort of intermediate terms, <clears throat> medium term, even longer term. Um, however, it's just worth pointing out or, or thinking that when you've had a really, really substantial drawdown in the price, as we have seen, then a move to the um, 38.2. Or, or even you know, thirty-eight point two of the April May move, or even fifty percent retracement of the April May move, in the context of the move we've seen, that is a recovery. But it's not a um, an incredible recovery. It's just a natural thing that you would expect 
in a market that has moved down uh, that emphatically. So just, you know, in the context of that, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a move within a channel, if you like. Okay, so you did lightly touch on something in there, and that is uh, your trusty point and figure chart. Now, you again did show me this while we were having a catch up yesterday. Your point and figure chart has some incredibly bullish, uh, short, uh, incredibly bullish long term price targets, but also there's some short term optimism to look forward to as well. Yeah, absolutely, um, and that's just <clears throat> basically looking at where the price has gone after the. Um, this is just really, really actually looking at the one-minute chart, which is which is a great chart for looking at stuff that um, should unfold over the course of the next week or even the next fortnight. Um, you know, don't be fooled by the fact that it's one-minute chart. One-minute point and figure is glacial by comparison to a, a bar chart, for example. <laughs> so, what are those targets now? Just basis what uh, has gone on sort of uh, overnight and over the, over the last twenty-four sort of forty-eight hours. Um, essentially, that is that tells you. There, um, it points to a move back up to 66, 1872, and just shy of the, um, the I've kind of crushed the targets into the top of the uh, chart by just kind of like dragging it in a rough, rough way with the, with the mouse. It's, it's not clever, but um, back to the 1890s, which is the key level that I uh, mm-hmm. alluded to earlier, um, if we change the, tar- the, the uh, parameters of the chart, to a slightly bigger, slower one, then yeah, as you said, much, much, much more, um, much bigger targets, um, well back into the 1900s. So yeah, so um, bullish and looking for uh, some sort of consolidatory support in the 1825, 1830 levels on the intra-week basis. All right, Nick, now before we move on to our macro conversation today, we do need to touch on silver, and normally we touch on silver mostly for my amusement, but uh, it is important to look at the context of silver today because it is following our favourite friend, Dr. Copper, but we will get to that in a second. First off, let's talk about managed money and what that is telling us about silver, and I do believe that there has been a significant increase in short positions in silver. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and and actually, we would have picked up on the whole that whole conversation and had it a lot earlier than today because that big increase in the shorts actually took place in the week that ended the tenth of May. So now that's uh, you know two weeks ago. Um, fine, but the reality is is that um, we weren't able to have a uh, a sort of a catch up conversation before now. Uh, so look, um, what has happened in <clears throat> in uh, Silver, as you begin to see some fairly uh, initially, you saw some quite large long liquidation, which I think we touched upon in our last podcast. Then, after that, you're beginning to see the shorts sell more aggressively than anything the longs are doing. And uh, in the week ending the 3rd of May, we had 36 million ounces of managed money as investor selling, short selling. Uh, then we had Tuesday, the 10th of May, we had 60, almost 63 million ounces. That's a substantial increase. And then the, 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 the week ending, the 17th, which we got the data for on Monday, uh, that they, they increased their short selling by 12 million ounces. So that's, um, you know, 100 and, uh, uh, so 15, 100, well over 110 million ounces just in the last three weeks of activity. So quite strong, um, 
selling. So, so strike, quite strong interest on the short side. And just to point out, actually, that the 62, 63 million ounces selling, that took place the volume weighted average in US dollar terms of 2230, 2230 US dollars. So, that's where, you know, essentially if you went short, you kind of painted a bit of a target on your back. Um, <laughs> what that means in in chart terms is if we look at that really serious breakdown in silver once it once it sort of broke down below the, the weekly Ichimoku cloud, um, now that there's been a recovery uh, of sorts, um, what are the levels which I think are important from, from from a recovery point of view? Where would you expect to see silver, you know, sort of have a, a, a kind of like a well, maybe the first wave up breaking? Um, the, the levels that I would look at are around about um, between twenty two ninety five and twenty three thirty four initially. So just over twenty three, I guess. That sort of band, and that is essentially coming from. Uh, a couple of things that's coming from Fibonacci retracements um, from both the uh, um, the high in March and the high uh, again in April, and then uh, the, the initial one being thirty eight point two, and then the fifty uh, percent uh, retracement. Also, you've got the weekly turning line coming in at twenty three thirty four. If my um, if I can read this. <laughs> a whole bunch of numbers that are clustered together um, with uh, reasonably accurately. So those, that's that's the area. If you're if you're look, if you're thinking where would silver's recovery um, sort of begin to crest as sort of the first? I, I don't want to start talking about wave one, two, three, four because that's a whole different thing. Um, but markets move in waves. So if if we look very roughly speaking, not technically speaking, at where this uh, upward recovery might um, run out of momentum, that's where I'm. Those are the prices I'm thinking of. All right, those prices I will be keen to revisit in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but for now, we do need to switch gears and we need to talk about what, unfortunately, everybody else is talking about in the markets at the moment, and that is the Fed. And it appears that there's no consensus on Fed policy at the moment. Uh, with the minutes being released this week, some people believe that there will be a couple more 50 basis point increases over the next couple of meetings. Uh, others seem to believe that the Fed are going to be less aggressive going into 2023. Tell me, Nick, uh, wh where is your analysis taking you? And um, can you not only understand both sides, but are you able to draw a conclusion on what the Fed might be doing? The there, there definitely is a sort of duality to people's um, responses to this, where uh, for sure some people are looking at um, the risks of a recession, uh, kind of like a, a tightening monetary policy induced recession, you know, in, in most likely in 2023, um, and that effectively tightening um, oversteps a boundary that causes the economy to slow down. Uh, and that is partly that shift in theme is partly behind, I suspect, some of the recovery in the gold price, some of the reduction in uh, the dollar index, and also uh, mo mo most keenly some of the reduction in the 10-year treasury inflation protected uh, securities, the, the the real yield effectively, uh, which going back and you know perhaps trying to bang our own gong here, um, we did have a conversation about a month ago where um, at the RIU, I think, uh, where we talked about the 
there's a sort of a, a boxed area between about five basis points and 25 basis points off from my memory where the 10 year real yield should find some kind of uh, um, some kind of uh, sort of upward momentum some kind of barrier not 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 a impasse not an impassable barrier but a, but nonetheless a barrier that causes a, a, a pause around right now and the 10 year real yield went up to I think 34 basis points as a high now it never closed above the 25 level and we're back in it um, from where I where I last looked so um, so far that call on that that particular band of resistance okay it's a pretty big band if you're trading bonds 20 basis point you know, whatever that's that's large um, so somewhere in there one should be right but <laughs> nonetheless it's kind of um, it, it, it looks to be the right call the right level um, anyway so back to the mainstream of uh, or main theme that we were talking about um, looking at the fed minutes and looking at also the CME's fed watch uh, which kind of tries to look at probabilities basis um, what people in the market are actually doing with their own money in fixed income uh, and in, in futures, effectively, interest rate futures, what are those players and participants actually, are they, are, 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 is there a significant amount of repricing? Now, I, I looked at May 23 very quickly uh, because that kind of gets, that just gives you an idea of what, what, the, what the perceptions are of the sort of perhaps the terminal rate that the Fed should hit. And it kind of takes away some of the noise of the stuff that's going on, repricing and so on that's going on in in the period between, say, May and and perhaps uh, August. I don't know, uh, August September. So, looking at May twenty three, from what I could see, the probabilities probabilities around the Fed funds going to the sort of say three to three twenty five band, or the two and three quarters to three percent level have not changed fundamentally. Um, so that suggests that whilst there may be some shifting of priorities, shifting of perceptions in the short term, shorter term upcoming FOMC decisions, it doesn't seem to be filtering through to the what's going on 12 months hence. So, and if you look at comments made by uh, James Bullard, he is still pretty hawkish. I think his comment around uh, recession, for example, that is, in his words, if I quote him more or less correctly, his 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 words were: he doesn't see the uh, the, the U.S. entering a recession unless there is a significant uh, and unexpected shock. Given that there are already a couple of shocks that have taken place this year, I'd say that's a fairly um, confident call on the uh, American economy. Um, so that's that's uh, uh, it. It seems to be largely business as usual on the Fed front, with obviously growing concerns that um, uh, that, a, that a recession or a slowdown is on its way as a consequence of of um, monetary tightening. And of course, you know, one of the big arguments as well, not big arguments, one of the big debates is, and, and this is very much true here in Australia as it is in America. Is that when you have an incredibly indebted system, uh, um, and we do, uh, then you don't need many. You don't need to tighten aggressively before you've really made a dent 
in um, the you know cost of repayments, uh, renewals. Um, you know, if you look at uh, even what's gone on in the U.S. mortgage market, been a tremendously sharp uptick in the cost of uh, mortgage finance. Um, you don't have to do as much uh, when the, wo- the world is well. The most of the world we're addressing is so highly leveraged, and so the question is: is some people are looking at the terminal rates of the Fed, and they're also looking at terminal rates expected for the RBA, Reserve Bank of Australia, and they're saying neither of those terminal rates are conceivable given the degree of leverage in both of those economies. And that's that's the other thing which is worth worth kind of flagging. No, that's an excellent point there, Nick. Um, so speaking of economic slowdowns, I guess we, we've got to talk about China. That that leads yeah. us to our, our – well, it will be our, our second final topic for the day because I've got one more topic I'm going to surprise you with at the end of the day. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do want to talk about China, especially here in Australia. We are vulnerable to any disruptions in their economic activity. Now, let's kick off with uh, something very poignant you said yesterday, and that was we're sort of operating – or we've, we've got a data vacuum for China at the moment. Now, you know, they've been in and out of like very severe lockdowns for the past six weeks. Uh, I think last time we ran the numbers on it, it's roughly about 76 million people have been in um, quite severe shutdowns, which equates to roughly the population of Thailand, I believe. Now, we're starting to see the impact of this flow through to uh, certain numbers. So let's talk about what this is, what's happening for China what the data is telling you, uh, and also, too, uh, let's touch on that Dr. Copper and Silver conversation as well. Yeah, that's right. We were holding back yeah, <laughs> after we talking about silver, and we were, like, not mentioning the, the, um, the, 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 the great relationship there with the down move, in, down move in copper prices and down move in silver prices. You know, silver is not the leader in that. Um, so... Uh, silver very much looking as though it's got its kind of copper vision on and following of course gold was going down too at the time but very much um it's it's a it's actually a really nice looking relationship if you uh, as you as you saw um between the uh, three month uh, lme um uh, price and the uh, copper price and the silver spot moving down in lockstep effectively and again that that's that's uh Speaks to you about back to the the Chinese uh, Chinese economy um, signs of I think uh, Shanghai moving out of lockdown, but Beijing still um, I'm not sure exactly what sort of phase of lockdown they're in, or if they it's, it doesn't seem to be as bad as Shanghai or as punitive, but nonetheless um, that is the 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 uh, area of um, sort of greater concern perhaps at the moment. Um, or rather, Shanghai is perhaps looking at um, the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so, yeah, nothing makes me feel more poignant than a data vacuum from China. But uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> next week it'll start. Uh, <laughs> next week it'll start coming back. Um, so, if you look at what's happening in copper prices, that's highly visible. What, what's happening in terms of PMI and Chinese economic activity? Um, both of them fallen quite sharply. What's now, as, as you point out, Chinese services business conditions, um, services PMI, not really so, super relevant to copper, but you've got to see that you know they printed what fifty three in December, dropped thirty six point two in April, 
And that's, you know, that is a horrendous number and uh, tells you a volume of information about um, Chinese business activity. Manufacturing PMI, which of course is going to be much more closely linked to to copper, um, has been drifting, stagnating uh, since all through twenty since twenty twenty. But um, at the end of uh, February, um, it went down to forty six, and um, and again sort of fell, <clears throat> fell, fell. It's fallen fairly sharply, not quite as sharply as services PMI, but it's uh, it's it's you know key when you look at the. The numbers in lockdown, and you look at the PMI PMI data that's coming in from um, Caixin, then that tells you, uh, you know, that tells you all you need to know to some degree. So the issue is, uh, and we're, we're seeing that come through in terms of other numbers. We're, we're seeing that through coming through in declines in car sales, declining home sales. Uh, we have seen in the last uh, week or two uh, certainly evidence that the um, Chinese government has. Uh, is trying to put in place at both the, the the central government level and the local government level steps that should ameliorate the weakness, particularly in property. Uh, and you know, as we've said many many times, property is central um, because you know how you feel about your property will certainly come before and certainly interact in how you feel about buying a new car. Um, it, 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 the the I think five year prime loan rate was reduced by fifteen basis points um, just over a week ago or thereabouts, and there's been moves towards trying to row back from some of the restrictions on property at a local government level. Not not um, surprisingly, because of the well understood or reasonably well understood connection between uh, property sales and the world the real real estate sector and the ability of local governments in China to raise tax revenue. So um, my view, rightly or wrongly, is that a 15 basis point reduction in the five-year prime loan rate doesn't really do too much um, to alleviate the pressure uh, when, you know, there's something something more fundamental happening. And I think that what's going on in the property market is, is too fundamental to be ameliorated or softened by a 15 basis point change in a in a um, major interest rate. But I could be wrong. Well, speaking of, you might be wrong on that. I don't often use that phrase, actually. (laughs) No, actually, I don't think I've ever heard you say it in our history of doing this. But here's something you were right on, though. So Hmm. I did mean to chat about um, this with you uh, yesterday and bring it to your attention. Now, Hmm. back on May 1 in Episode 16, you ran your trusty point and figure over the Aussie dollar and you threw out uh, a couple of bearish downside targets, which didn't seem plausible at the time. When yes. the Aussie dollar was sitting around the let's say seventy-two cent mark, and you said there was scope for the Aussie dollar to fall between sixty-eight to sixty-nine cents, which lo and behold, it did on May twelve. Yeah, have you that's true. That? I felt relieved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It did, and I was quite, uh, I was kind of quite pleased that it did. If for, for just, if only for that selfish view alone. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, and it, it's, we should revisit the Aussie, maybe the next podcast we make, maybe before I head off to Singapore, 
um, in in just over a week's time. Maybe we should um, maybe we should have a deeper look at the Aussie uh, to sort of you know. I mean, the thing is, is that the Aussie will certainly be helped by a tightening phase, and it'll be helped by a tightening phase if, for example, the Fed, uh, if if the Fed and the RBA kind of um, at a sort of local level sort of move out of step because of the difference in their in their tightening cycle and the degree of their tightening cycle. It's kind of too early to make a call on either of those, but that could be could be beneficial to the Aussie um, as opposed to the. Uh, reduction in demand in China, for example. Yes, we'll look, see. We, we will revisit that Aussie just before you uh, head over to Singapore. But we do need to draw today's podcast to an end. But before we do, uh, I want to talk about our key takeaways. And I think my absolute um, favorite line of today, although you've had a couple of good ones, um, is talking about the incredibly indebted system that you've got and how you don't need to tighten that aggressively to have an impact. Uh, I think that's well worth remembering when we are talking about how high rates are going to go this tightening cycle. Um, you know, the the idea that, you know, everybody, when, especially in economies like the US and to a greater extent Australia as well, these are very highly leveraged countries with high levels of personal indebtedness. That is an excellent point that you don't need to uh, move rates too high to have an impact on um, individual behaviour. I think that's 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 interesting, and I probably uh, yeah absolutely, and I'll, I'll maybe sort of make a a local point on that, which is that the two things aren't entirely connected necessarily, but if you look at the fact the way the Australian uh, property markets, only in the and uh, in Sydney and Melbourne, um, have started to fade. Um, you know, we only have to go back six to nine months to look at a, a really roaring property market and an RBA that I think was still roughly at that stage, if I'm right, still saying that interest rate rises were um, a long way over the horizon. And now the horizon has rushed towards us very, very quickly and faster than some perhaps anticipated if they were listening to the output that basically said, you know, rates wouldn't tighten until 2024. Well, it's now they tightened in May 20. Two, um, and, and that's interesting. That I think a real world example of that is the Australian property market beginning to roll yeah. um, before the first rate rise even arrived. So, yeah. watch that space. Um, I, I, I don't know if I've got a particular um, sort of strong takeaway uh, here. I'll agree with your takeaway, and also thank you for pointing out my um, call on the Aussie dollar from two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you've got to take the wins when they come. All right, yeah. Nick, look, it is great to have you back at the desk and the microphone in front of you. I look forward to doing this again next week. Thanks for being here, Nick. No, thank you. Cheers, Shane. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to get a better understanding of the technical indicator Nick uses, the Ichimoku Cloud. It's available on most trading platforms. Alternatively, you can check the show notes over at abcrefinery.com forward slash podcast. Here you can sign up to receive more information from Nick Frappell, including his monthly report where he incorporates technical analysis alongside macro market commentary. That's all from us today at ABC Refinery. We look forward to seeing you next time.